Our Father who art in heaven, Jesus was asked to teach people to pray. There are people that are doubting the existence of heaven, but Jesus endorses it by saying, Our Father. Who's in heaven? If we could pull up the lyrics on that last song, uh, the elders bow down, that part of it. Uh-huh, yeah. That's heaven, friends, right now. And what do they sing? He's worthy of it all. Do you realize that coming to church is the next best thing than to being in heaven? Think about it. Who's going to be in heaven? God's people. Who's here? Well, I get it. Some, some are here maybe because you were made to come. Maybe you're checking things out because you've got a lot of questions. But friends, God did this on purpose. Where Jesus, he's the bridegroom and he's coming for his bride. There's a relationship there. He's coming for his bride without spot or wrinkle, right? And um, we are part of that bride. And so to be able to, I don't understand it, honestly. I, I struggle really hard where people, followers of Christ, they say they're followers of Christ, but whenever I get to church, and we're seeing that, uh, that trend in America today, Church attendance is dropping off consistently where people that used to come consistently are now coming once or twice a month. And if that's you here today, I challenge you, man. Jesus died for the bride. I want to be here. I love being here. I love being with you. I can't tell you how much has already happened in my core this morning. Uh, from talking to you, hugging you, etc. I don't understand it, why people don't want to be part of that. And so the next best thing, think of it, the next best thing to being in heaven is being in God's house with his people, Right? Yeah. So, thanks for being here. And um, invite somebody next Sunday. It's amazing. We're, we're tracking people who attend here, and the majority, by far, are attending because somebody invited them here. And that's all people need is an invite. So many people are looking for an invite. And God is always active. God is always moving in people's hearts, and um, uh, we want to be used and sensitive. So by being here, it's not 
you know, I, what I get out of it. You want to be here because God's going to use you to touch somebody else. You pray ahead of time, Lord, guide my steps. So when I talk to this particular person or in this conversation that you'll use me to be a source of encouragement. See? You're on a mission when you come here. You're not here to be a spectator. You're on a mission. So take it seriously. And um, um, it's the word of encouragement, man. In these days, I talked to a guy a couple weeks ago after the gathering, and he said, I'm finding it in my life. I need to be here as often as I can because of the days that we're living in. Instead of making excuses why you can't come, find excuses why you have to be here and be here. Yo. Yeah. I have to tell you, man, I... We could just pray and go home right now, man. Really. Really. Wednesday at family night in the cafe, it's where the adults hang out. We had a great time in the presence of the Lord. Extended worship, times of prayer. It's good, powerful. I thank the Lord for what He's done already here this morning. What the Spirit of God wants to do um, in your life and my life. Lord, we, we need you. Lord, you are worthy. You are so worthy. And Lord, what's going on in heaven, we want to happen here as well. Where Jesus, you are lifted up. You are promoted. We want to see your fame spread in the southwestern Wisconsin, Lord. There's so many people that are hurting, that are struggling. May we, the body of Christ, raise our hand to say, yes, Lord, use me to be a carrier of Jesus Christ. To be that ambassador that you want me to be, Lord. So we thank you for your faithfulness, God. You are so faithful. Man, you're faithful. God, you know every person watching, every person in this room, the stuff that we're all dealing with. Different. Everybody's different. This past week has been different for all of us, and but Lord, you know everything about us, where we've been, what we're going through. And I pray that you will 
deal with each one of us in your own personal way, God. Because each one of us carry great worth and value in your eyes. So thank you, Lord. We give you our days, we give you our lives. We say, have it all, Lord, have it all. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Nick, uh, Nick uh, at the tail end of worship there, he was praying that, um, you know, reminding us that God has good plans for us. You know, God had good, plan, good plans for Daniel. Finity. And what was that good plan? To be exiled as a 15-year-old, taken from your family, traveling 900 miles to a foreign country to the world's most powerful leader, and be forced to serve that king and kingdom. You see that good plan? Huh? Is that a good plan? It's a good plan. Why? Because God was behind it, wasn't it? We, we have this idea of these good plans, you know, no suffering, no, no, no persecution, no hardship. Where did that come from, man? You read the Bible, and you realize, man, these people had their challenges. How about it? <laughs> Hebrews 12, read the uh, hall of faith and what people went through. You look at the disciples, they laid their lives down, became martyrs for Christ. That's a good plan. What's good about it? Because we get to live for the Lord. We get to live for Him. That's a privilege. So, how many of you are ready to go into exile? That's a good plan. Huh? <laughs> Nobody's raising their hands, man. Uh, well, anyway... On a lighter note, we want to congratulate uh, Devin and Alexa on the birth of their daughter, Maven Marie. Yeah, you can see when she was born, and uh, she's home. Alexa's watching right now, so she heard you shouting and clapping. It's cool. That's cool. Listen, every life has worth to it. And that's why we celebrate it. You might be watching, you might be here where you've had an abortion. You terminated that life. We're not here to uh, put a guilt trip on you, but but we are here to say, bring, if, you've, if you have and you've carried that without telling anybody, or it's a secret. You can go to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me. He will. He will, and he'll pour his love into you. It's the grace of the Lord. God's grace. But we value life here because God makes all life.
That's why he's worthy. He's worthy of it all. Boy, boy. So what does the Lord want to do? What does the Lord want to do? He wants to make himself known more in our lives. And may we agree with that, Lord. You should have your notes uh, nearby. Uh, those watching online, you can pull it up on, on uh, the Facebook church, Facebook page, web, our web page. Uh, print it out. Man alive. What in the world? There's a lot of numbers there. And then you might say, how come there's two Roman numeral fours? Did you notice that? What, are you guys sleeping this morning? What in the world? Well, that's my, my bad. I'm, my bad. But you can get, you just scratch out that L on the left down there, and it'll be all good, right? It's all good. It's all good. I don't know if you've ever heard of the John Bear Grease Sled Dog Marathon. Anybody ever hear of that? Huh? No? It's named after that dude right there, John Bear Grease. How would you like to have a name like that? Mr. Bear Grease, will you stand over there? Bear Grease. That's him. He's, he's smiling almost. <laughs> anyway, he delivered uh, mail by dog sled along Lake Superior's North Shore from 1887 to uh, 1900. And so they decided to make a race for him. And... Um, 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 Susan Butcher, there she is, she won the 1990 marathon in record time, finishing the grueling 475-mile race in 87 hours, 15 minutes, and 38 seconds, shaving approximately 10 hours off the year before's record time. It's over three and a half days, man, you're out there with the dogs. <laughs> um, that same lady won in 1987. She won in 1988. She pressed through the bitter cold, the howling winds of blizzards, dark nights, exhausting days. As her well-trained huskies pulled her sled over those hundreds of miles from the start to finish of that race. Now notice those dogs, they got little socks on. You see the socks? Look at, isn't it? How come that dog's ticked off, man? He's t <laughs> Hey, you know, we had a bear in town here last week. Thinking, what in the world? Somebody imported that thing. Look at those socks. 
what are, what are socks about? Well, the dogs are fitted with these little socks because um, the ice that they're running on resembles sandpaper over time. And it would literally rip the pads off their paws. So to protect the dogs, they put those little cute socks on their paws. Those strong, they were in great condition, the struggling animals with those little socks. They barked, they pulled, their, they pressed on in spite of the odds. And after the race, um, Susan Butcher was asked, How do you, how'd you do it? Well, she answered, but there's more to the story because do you know that there's an 1,100-mile race from Anchorage to Nome, the um, Iditarod race? You can see the map up there. Um, why don't they go in a straight line? You ever wonder about that? Why don't they go the way the crow goes? But they, they voted and they decided not to. So anyway, it's 1,100 miles, and it's uh, 8 to 10 days out in the cold. Maddening monotony. Can you imagine 1,100 miles behind a team of dogs? You know, the scenery all is the same. It's like driving through Illinois. <laughs> right? It's all the same, man. But this, um, this same woman, Susan Butcher, she won that race, the Iditarod, four times in a row. Man. And again, she was interviewed and asked, how did you do it? Listen to what she said. Well, I just remembered that others have done it before me, so I can do it too. How can you finish the race in life, friend, this morning? You can know that others have gone before you and they've finished. Because they've done it, you can do it too. Even if God sends you into exile, there are people that have gone before you and you can do it too. And we see that in Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a large, such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Just like Susan Butcher staying on course, finishing the race, because others have done it before her. You and I, we, can, we are told to strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let's run with endurance to the finish line. And so, in this world where we have blizzards and angry dogs like that, um, where's God? Where's God in the midst of all that? When you look at World War II, so many Jews stopped believing in God after the Holocaust. The reasoning was if there's a God and he's loving and this happened, it doesn't make sense, so there must not be a God. So a lot of Jewish atheists in the world, because of the Holocaust, 
missionary in India, Graham Staines, back in 1999. He and his two boys, six and ten, were ministering in a village in India. And they were attacked by militants for serving in their village. And so they torched Graham's car with he and his two boys in it. So why does God allow this? And in 2018, ISIS, you saw it most likely, beheaded 20 Christians on a beach in Libya. And uh, these are all personal questions for us because some of you this morning watching and here, you've gone through stuff in life. You've wondered, where is God? Where is God? And when we think of being exiled, there's different ways of looking at it. Some of you have been exiled because of your faith in Christ from your family. They won't talk to you. And if they do, they'll laugh at you. Some of you are in, in school and people who you thought were your friends have laughed at you and mocked you because of your faith. It's very lonely. It feels like you're in exile. Maybe at work, a very ungodly environment, and you feel like you're the only one there. You're in exile. Where's God? <laughs> God was with Daniel in Babylon. God is with you in your exile wherever that may be. Because he promised, he promised, I will never leave you, I'll never abandon you. He promised. We see Daniel didn't spend time questioning God's sovereignty. He spent his time, his life, literally resting in God's sovereignty. That's why he was able to thrive. I, I think about John Erickson last Sunday when he talked about his friend Moses being killed in a village in Guinea. That was John's best friend. And he said, I'm, John said, I'm, I've rested in God's presence. Now listen. You may hear people say that you should not ask God why. And I don't agree with that. I think God understands when you go through a battle, a loss, whatever the case may be, an exile. I think you can ask God why. We see that throughout the book of Psalms. The psalmist repeatedly asked God why. I think it's okay to ask God why, but you don't want to camp out there. Because if you walk through the psalms, you'll see they start asking why, but by the end of it, they're thanking the Lord for his faithfulness. So go ahead and ask God why, but don't camp out there. Rest Go into the rest of his presence.
that he's promised. Now, I can tell you, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, I have committed to read the Bible, you know, consistently. I have a Bible reading plan. And um, we're going into May, by the way, tomorrow, the fifth month already of 2023. And we make commitments to the Lord on the front end in January. Lord, I'm going to do this, this, you know, I'm going to be consistent here. And it's so easy to slip away from that, right? It is. It really is. But reading the Bible, sometimes you feel flat. You know, the, the beat of the heartbeat just seems to flatline at times. I was thinking, that's how it was lately in my life. But on Wednesday night, something happened in the cafe. This morning, something happened here earlier. Where there was like an ignition of God's presence. And I thought, Lord, how refreshing it is. It's like, put, it's like putting money in the bank by reading the Bible consistently, because there has to be times when you withdraw. See, you have to make a withdraw. And when you make an investment with the Lord, you're putting money, so to speak, in the heavenly bank. And when you need it, God opens the windows of heaven. And you make a withdraw where he refreshes you, he encourages you. And so... May we, as a body of Christ, pursue the Lord as we press on through this year. So where is God? God is here. And God is sovereign. And Daniel knew there was a loving God working for God's glory and Daniel's good. It was Daniel's good. And uh, not his comfort, you know. Americans, we, we, we tend to be soft, man. We always want comfort. You know, we bring our spiritual pillows wherever we go to protect us from being hurt or wounded. You know, we're so easily offended. Yeah. But we need to toughen up, friends. Yo, hmm? we need to toughen up. There's a battle going on. There's a battle, a spiritual battle right now. And uh, it amazes me, I'm, I'll be very tra transparent with you, man. It amazes me on how parents with children don't realize it. That the enemy has placed a target on the children's backs, along with the parents' backs as well. But the parents are so distracted with life, that they don't make an investment in training their son, their daughter, to stand alone, like Daniel. We had a funeral here yesterday with Don Fechner, 93 years old, and some of his kids told of Don's life. Don 
was in church on Sunday morning. He was in church on Sunday night. They had Sunday nights back in those days, and then he was in church on Wednesday nights. He brought his kids. That's what they said. They, they brought, Dad brought us to church consistently. And what is the payoff for that, friend? They're living for the Lord today. Now, I get it. We all have the freedom to choose, and some sons and daughters will reject Christ, but you pray that they will come back. The prodigals will come home, right? Yeah, we trust the Lord to do that. The only thing you as a parent can take to heaven is your children. That's it. When they put their faith in Christ. And we need to, I, we just need to look at the days that we're living and we have to keep our ear, put our ear on that railroad track to hear the train coming. And to put our eyes on Jesus Christ and model him well in our home and wherever we go. So we will take it seriously, the training of our sons and daughters in these days. We have, we have a window of opportunity. We don't know when that window will close, like it did for Daniel. I believe his parents were hoping that he would go through high school, graduate, go on, the, you know, get into the military. They never saw that happen. Things can happen unexpectedly. And we need to be aware and of the times that we're living in. To take our walk with Christ seriously. So, Daniel realized that God was using him, not for his comfort, but for his good. And... Um, that's where we need to land as well. So where are you, God? Let's look at, let's look at um, Daniel chapter 1. We're just going to read a few verses there. If you have your Bibles, um, you can open to Daniel 1. Uh, I'm going to read the first three verses during... You know, we haven't been in Daniel for three weeks. So we're going to... Bringing you up to speed here. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. And then verse 8, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. So, where are you, God? When you look at, um, 
Life is what you see. Life is what is visible. Life is what is tangible in front of you. Um, But the invisible, what you don't see is spiritual. And we have have some verses that endorse that very thing. Because may God open our eyes to see the invisible. May he take the veil off our eyes so that we can see through things as they really are. Because some of you today are going through a real spiritual battle, man. It's raging in your home. And you have to know how to deal with it. So the message in 2 Corinthians 4. So we are not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us. And on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. Have you noticed that lately? Things that you thought would always be there? Yeah. Yeah, Debbie and I had that conversation a few weeks ago. Everything we've liked, you know, like like the Swiss Valley Orchard in New Glarus, man. We, We had so much history there, and they closed it down on us. Uh, you know, just different things, you know, where you, you know, kind of like had a rhythm of, of going to things that maybe you thought would always be there. They're gone. They're gone. And so that's the way it is. And that's where Paul's going here. Um, um, so the things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. So that's where Paul's writing, what you can't see, that's the spiritual, that's eternal. Those things that you see are temporary. And yet so many people put all their emphasis on what you can see, and they leave the spiritual neglected. Where are you, God? God. Here it is, Psalm 31.15. My future is in your hands. My future is in your hands. Isn't that a great place to be? So Lord, our, your hands are open this morning. May we, may we jump into those faithful, loving hands. Because if we believe that, we wouldn't be shaken so easily, would we? My future is in your hands. So, um, quick intro, the flares in the air, uh, Jeremiah telling the people in in chapter 25 that for 23 years he had been uh, speaking to the people of Israel to put their faith back in God. They had drifted away, and yet they ignored him. And then, because of that, God finally said, it's time to judge. Judgment is coming. And God did it in verses 1 and 2. We read that. God, the Lord, gave 
Nebuchadnezzar victory over Israel. The Lord gave that because he was judging his own people for rejecting him. And three, surrounded by evil, verses three through seven, Daniel and his buddies are put into a, a kingdom that is so pagan and dark and sinister and anti-God. That's where they live. They're surrounded by evil, and yet they thrive. They thrive. And they're brainwashed. They're, there's a buffet in Babylon. Food, the king ordered them to eat. There was identity theft where their names were changed. And um, four, this is where we ended up last time, you must have a core. And I, I go back to that this morning. Each of us, we need to uh, predetermine what our core values are, and then we live by them. Um, when you think about when you drive on the, on the roads and the highways, aren't you glad there's a speed limit? <laughs> because, because if there wasn't, you, you, you would think, how fast should I go? Huh? Maybe I should push it a little harder, you know, or maybe I'll just go a little slower or whatever the case may be. Do you realize that the government has simplified your life by putting speed limits on the road? You don't have to think about it because they're telling you how fast or how slow you have to go. You see that? You should send a thank you note to the government tomorrow, man. <laughs> hey, man, thanks for making my life easier. Uh, but when you have core values, it really simplifies your life. Because every time you come to a fork in the road, you don't have to stop and think, how am I going to do this? What, which way am I going to go? You've already predetermined the answer to that. It, it just saves you a lot of anxiety. It saves you a lot of time for wondering. And, and Daniel was so good at that, he was trained by his parents to predetermine his core values as a teenager. And nothing was able to, to rip that out of him. And... For that, we can, man, Daniel. So verse 8, but Daniel, so after all this pushback from Babylon, but Daniel, I, I like how that sounds. It doesn't say and Daniel or so Daniel. It says, but Daniel. What's the image that comes to your mind when you read those two words? Huh? What is it? Yeah, there's... there's Okay, there did this, this, and this, and it, but Daniel. Boom! He, he pulls up the stop sign. You know? No more. No more. But Daniel. We need, to, we need to develop that in our own lives. When things that are going against God's word, his principles, the things that God cares about, we need to put up a stop sign and say no more. So will I conform or not? That's the question. Daniel opposes the pressure to conform. Uh, he's made his choices at an early age with that inward conviction. 
When you hear the, the phrase, the, the Holy Spirit convicted me or the conviction of the Holy Spirit, have you experienced that in your life? I, I value that. And we talked about grieving the Holy Spirit Wednesday night. That's biblical. God, in his word, says that we, the created ones, can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. We can wound him. We can bring pain to him. And Daniel purposed that he would not do that. And so it happens when your decisions become your convictions, and anybody can make a, a decision, a choice. And those decisions and choices that we make um, will steal our core. Things, things in my life where I have sensed the Holy Spirit tap me on the shoulder or by reading God's Word, the voice of the Lord, that still, quiet voice, when He has spoken and I've obeyed, that has radically changed my life. And so I don't have to, you know, I can't, I don't put my finger up, you know, testing what the culture out there is doing. No, I'm, I've made a commitment to the Lord on core values. So I, I don't have to waste my time on what popularity the polls are saying or the trends are going. Right? Yeah. So, um, defile, that's an interesting word. I was thinking about Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine that the king brought to him. That word defiled means to corrupt, to pollute, to contaminate. Um, think of it this way, arsenic. How much arsenic would it take for you to ingest to kill you? Not a whole lot. I, somebody can Google it and let us know here before you leave. Um, but it doesn't take much. And so, once again, in America, the, the church in America has allowed arsenic to work its way into the bloodstream of the church, where the arsenic of the world's culture has crept into the church itself. And it's eroded the core values of Almighty God. And we, as his body, his bride, who we are preparing ourselves to be a bride without spot or wrinkle under the power of God's Spirit, uh, we want to live our lives not with the arsenic, but we want the righteousness of Christ. And when that happens, the breath of God breathes grace into your life and my life. So Daniel was committed to that, and um, he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these, these unacceptable foods. Um, and by the way, for Daniel to do that, do you realize that was insubordination? Because the king put his stamp on it, this is what you're going to eat. You never said no to the king. No. You don't say no to the king because whoosh, your, your head's going to be chopped off. 
But Daniel did that. He was willing to put his life on the line. And so do we. Today in China, for example, China ramping up persecution of Christians as it demands worship and allegiance of Xi Jinping. That's the president of China. A report released last week by the U.S.-based non-governmental organization China Aid warned that the Chinese government is using charges of fraud to financially suffocate the house church movement, which consists of Christian congregations that have not registered with China's official Protestant church. Same thing happened in Germany in the 1930s, where the churches aligned themselves with Hitler, and the pastors and churches that didn't, they, they, the the pastors were thrown into concentration camps and ultimately killed. That's going on in China right now. Authorities are using the traditional Christian practice of giving tithes and offerings to trump up charges against house churches under the measures for the financial management of religious activity venues, which were updated last June. The report noted that multiple house church pastors and elders have been jailed and potentially face years in prison. The Chinese government is also cracking down on Christian websites and apps in an attempt to remove Christianity from cyberspace. Their goal is not only to curate a socialist-friendly church, they hope to erase it. And so, what's going on in China is going on in America today. Every form of Christianity, followers of Christ in the public arena, there is pressure to keep you in the church and silence you. That's where Daniel was. He want, they were trying to forget their core values and become a Babylonian citizen. And Daniel pushed back. So, Daniel finished strong. Don Fechner, 93 years old, finished strong. What an encouragement to the body of Christ. Just like um, Susan Butcher, who said, the people that have gone before me encourage me to finish Because Don Fechner did it, that encourages me to do it. See? See how that goes? And so there's an article I'd like just to close with. Thoughts on finishing well. Daryl Dash, he's a pastor in Canada. In Canada, by the way, they are moving pro-socialist government big time. I'm 55, which is old enough to have seen some of my friends not finish well. I used to struggle to understand how someone could fail God in a public way. Now I marvel that God's grace kept me so long. The older I get, the more I see my sin. I see three options before us. One, coast. Coast spiritually. No new challenges, no risk, no discomfort. This option hardly seems like a good one, but it probably, it's probably our default. Number two, crash. I see this far too often. Commit a serious sin against God. One that brings dishonor to his glory and that harms others. 
we're all closer to this than we think. The more we think we're not in danger, the greater the danger. 1 Corinthians 12.10, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Finish well, number three. This option aims to echo Paul's words in 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Finishing well means that we remember that we have an enemy who's a murderer and a liar. You can read that in John 8, 44. It means that we take John Owen's word seriously. John Owens was a theologian in the 1600s, but he knew the culture. He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Don't be friends with sin. We must realize how dangerous sin is, not just sin in general, but the particular sins that we're tempted to commit. We must recognize them, confess them, and drag them into the open. In general, if I'm so embarrassed by a sin or temptation that nobody knows about, I'm in dangerous territory. But finishing well also has a positive side. It means treasuring God, beholding Christ, and being filled with the Spirit, and deeply satisfying. Growth in godliness is growth in joy. Isn't that cool? Growth in godliness is growth in joy. Finishing well simply means that we keep doing these two things, killing sin and treasuring God for a long time, recognizing that we're never far from danger. It means anticipating the day when all of this struggle will have been worth it all for the glory that will be revealed. It also helps to follow others who are finishing well. That's, that's what um, Susan Butcher learned. I spoke to a man a bit older than me last week. He's been faithfully serving in his church for 29 years. I can't detect an ounce of deceit or dishonesty in his life. The harder things get, his wife comments, the more he's in. As we spoke, I asked how he'd stayed faithful so long, and his answer was a one-word answer. It was abiding. He can't imagine a day when he doesn't depend on Christ's power for all that he needs. He said, I wither so fast. And Daryl says, me too. We are human beings who are prone to wander. That's why we need to abide daily in the presence of God. How about you?